0: Before we get started with today's show, a quick warning. Today's episode deals with abortion and includes content that could be disturbing for some listeners. Please take care when and with whom you listen. And thanks.
1: Roe v. Wade was overturned on a Friday morning and immediately. Abortion was instantly illegal in wide swaths of the United States across the South and the Midwest. It was state after state after state that fell. And I knew right away that I wanted to talk to the thousands of women who were searching desperately for abortion care in the wake of that ruling. And I wanted to know what are those people thinking right now, the people who need abortions and now can't get them, what are they thinking? What are they doing? What are they planning?
0: Caroline Kitchener is a national political reporter covering abortion for The Post.
1: You know, I I used to connect with patients at abortion clinics, but now the abortion clinics are closed in the states where people are trying to get them. So I went on Reddit and Monica's post Really jumped out at me.
0: Monica is a woman in her mid 20s, living in a southern state where
1: abortion is now illegal. The title of her post was, in all capital letters, Please Help with about 10 exclamation points, 10 weeks pregnant and need advice. And then she writes I am believed to be around 10 weeks pregnant. I live in a state where it is illegal to have an abortion. And then she says, I need advice. I'm not prepared to have a child. Please, no hate. I'm in a vulnerable state right now. I just need help. You know, she just, she she could just tell, you could feel in what she had written that she was desperate. I mean, if you are somebody who is in need of an abortion in a state where it's banned, you've got a couple of options. First, you could cross state lines. You could go on a trip. Uh, For some people, that's gonna be hundreds of miles in a car to get to a clinic where you could get care. And it's also gonna be a three, four, five week wait at this point because a lot of the clinics in border states are just totally jammed up. And then the second option is to get illegal abortion pills.
0: For Monica, she had made clear in her Reddit post that she had run out of options. She couldn't travel. She didn't have money to go out
1: of state. And so she was looking for pills. So right after she posted that message, she got a note from an anonymous user whose name she didn't know and would never know, saying do you still need mifepristone? I live in California and have access to it. I could mail it to you ASAP for free. Then Monica says, wait, really? OMG, you would literally save my life. I've had family members look all over pharmacies but the border, but have had no luck. Then the user says, I'm happy to help. I know it's super hard to get now with these new laws.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Tuesday, November 15th. Today, we trace the illegal supply chain that's putting tens of thousands of abortion pills into the hands of people desperately seeking abortions. People like Monica. This covert network crosses borders.
1: Hi, this is Las Libres. Can I help you? siempre dicen como de.
0: And carries both legal and medical risks. So, Caroline, after you saw Monica's post on Reddit, you reached out to her. Who is she, and how did she end up in a situation where a stranger on Reddit was her best hope for help?
1: Monica is 25 years old. We're just identifying her by her first name to protect her privacy. And you're, you're also not going to hear her on tape for that same reason. She lives in a state where abortion is banned. And she found out that she was pregnant pretty early on in her pregnancy. She was about six weeks along. Totally, totally unexpected. She described to me she was at the beach with a friend of hers and she was telling her friend that her nipples were feeling uncomfortable and sore. And her friend said, girl, do you think you could be pregnant? And she was like, no way. (laughs) Like she was not expecting it. It was not even on her mind. And no way, no way. And then she took a pregnancy test and she was. And One of the things that I remember really clearly early on from our conversations was Monica kept saying to me, I know a lot of people wouldn't think that I should get an abortion because she is in a loving relationship. She has a boyfriend of a couple of years who she's very confident that she's going to be with for the rest of her life. And she does have a job and they have a place to live that they rent. They don't make a ton of money. Um... They are frequently paycheck to paycheck, but they are getting by. And she kept saying to me, I feel kind of guilty that I want this. And I'm in a situation where I guess I could make it work, but it would just be really hard. She kept saying that to me. So for a while, she was kind of going back and forth. She wasn't absolutely certain that this is what she wanted to do. But ultimately, after giving it a lot of thought, going back and forth, she decides there's no way that she can, in her current state, take care of a baby, and she's not ready. But immediately, she knew she wasn't going to be able to get an abortion in her state, and she also knew that she didn't have the money or the time to be able to leave the state. So she right away starts thinking about what her other options could be. And her mind immediately goes to Google. She spends hours and hours on Google trying to figure out how she can give herself a miscarriage. Obviously, that's not safe. One of the things, the first things that she finds is an herbal remedy called mugwort tea. She gets some of that, tries to drink it, doesn't work. The next thing that she tries is to get really, really drunk and hope that that somehow gives her a miscarriage. That also doesn't work. So as Monica is trying all of these different things to end her pregnancy, she knows that the clock is ticking. She knows that every single day that passes is a day that she is getting further into her pregnancy and taking abortion pills in particular becomes more difficult. And and what are abortion pills? So there are two types of pills that um, go into the FDA-approved regimen for medication abortion. The first is mifepristone, and that terminates the pregnancy. And then the second pill is misoprostol. You take that about 24 hours later, and that induces the contractions. So... You can actually do a medication abortion only with misoprostol, the second pill, but it's a lot more painful, a lot more difficult. And so the regimen that is approved by the FDA includes both pills. And, and how long have these pills been around?
0: And you're, you're saying they're approved by the FDA. What are the circumstances in which they are supposed to be
1: taken under FDA approval? So the two-step regimen was approved by the FDA in 2000. But it wasn't until 2016 that it started becoming more common, Uh, much more common because they extended the use until 10 weeks of pregnancy instead of seven. So far more people were able to use this method. And last year was the first year that more than 50 percent of abortions that took place in the United States were medication abortions.
0: Is this medication generally considered safe, and do you usually need a prescription to get them? What's the sort of recommended situation you would be in?
1: Leading medical associations say that this regimen is extremely safe. You do need a prescription. The FDA requires a prescription to use the pills. Um, They also have only approved the pills, again, up to 10 weeks of pregnancy, not beyond that point.
0: So are there any risks involved with taking it, let's say, after 10 weeks or not in a supervised medical environment, you're not getting this prescription from a doctor, you're, you know, in a different type of situation?
1: So I spoke to somebody at the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is the leading association for OBGYNs. And they said that there's actually a growing consensus in the field that it is safe to take beyond 10 weeks of pregnancy. And there is some frustration from certain OBGYNs that the FDA has not approved it beyond that point. What I will say is that the farther along you are in your pregnancy, the more you see, and the more difficult the medication abortion can be. When
0: you say the more you see, I mean, this might be graphic, but but what exactly do you mean by that?
1: The more you see of the fetus, mm-hmm. the more defined it is, and the larger it is, and that can be traumatizing for some women. I think it's important to say that the last time abortion was illegal in this country before Roe v. Wade in 1973 there were no abortion pills. Uh, The only way to get an abortion was to have a surgical procedure. And so the only way to get around these laws was to have a doctor or somebody who said that they knew enough about this procedure to do it physically on people who needed to end their pregnancies. That's a lot harder than putting a pill in a patient's hand. So in the 80s, Abortion pills were developed as an alternative way to end a pregnancy.
0: So with Monica's story, she didn't know who she was getting the pills from, right? And therefore, you know, you couldn't necessarily track down and talk to those specific people. But were you ever able to talk to the people on the other side of that conversation who are fielding these sorts of requests?
1: I was, yeah. So some of the first people that I visited with were a group of women who have been mailing out illegal pills for about three years now.
0: Oh, so they have practice. Oh, yeah.
1: So one in particular, she was the leader of a fairly prominent abortion rights group. And she often found herself frustrated. This was a couple years ago. Um, For example... You know, the victim of, a dom- of domestic violence, somebody who's trapped inside with their abuser. Um, maybe it's a a 16-year-old who's not able to leave home without their parents finding out. These are people who could not physically get to a clinic but really needed an abortion. So this woman that I talked to, we're not disclosing her name or her location, and you won't hear her on tape because she could go to jail for doing the things that she's doing. It was about three years ago that she started what she refers to as her organization's shadow side. And she would send pills to a couple of people. Um, now She was only doing maybe a dozen of these cases a year. But when somebody really needed it, she would send pills illegally to their home or some other safe address. And so when Roe was overturned, she just had a lot of this infrastructure already. So when demand started to spike, and man, did it spike, she knew exactly how to pack the pills. She knew how to set up the encrypted email. She knew how to keep herself safe in the face of laws that could potentially send her to jail. She invited me to come to what she calls a packing party, with her and two other people who help her in this operation. So I arrive at her suburban home and walk in the door and they're all sitting around a coffee table in her living room. And all of the materials are very neatly arranged on the table. So you've got the envelopes you've got the bubble wrap and 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 the pens that they use to to mark various things and then you have you have one old medicine bottle that's opened and you have one calcium bottle that like was once filled with you know vitamins and they are now filled with abortion pills and they arrive open and unmarked in these old you know medicine wow. containers um, and that's for protection. That's just in case anybody opens them. They won't ne- necessarily know what they are. And so the first thing that the woman does is she takes both of these bottles and she pours all of the pills into two different bowls um, because one one container is the mifepristone and one is the misoprostol, the two different abortion pills um, that are part of this regimen. And she proceeds to check all the pills and make sure that they're okay because some of them in transit have chipped, they've broken in half. Mm. um, And she kind of proceeds to pluck the damaged pills out of the bowl. And they're doing whatever they can to make it safe. They are wearing latex gloves and they keep the area really clean. But they're also recognizing that at the end of the day, they are taking pills out of an old medicine bottle and putting them into envelopes. Like, they know that this is not great. Right. They know they're not pharmacists in a pharmaceutical situation. No. And there was this one moment where, um, you know, they're explaining this to me, how it's far from ideal. And my source says... You know, we wear these gloves because we, you know, imagine if you were a patient. You wouldn't want someone's hands kind of rummaging around in your medication and then, you know, petting a dog and then touching your medication. And one of the other women looks at her because this woman has a dog. (laughs) And one of the other women looks at her and says, you know, you just pet that dog with your glove on. (laughs) <laughs> and my source goes, no, I didn't. <laughs> and and one of the other ones just says, you know what? Yeah, like, we're not doctors. We're not medical providers. Like, this sucks.
0: Yeah, like, they don't, it sounds like what you're saying is they don't want to be in this situation. But this is sort of like desperate times, desperate me- measures, and in their, in their estimation what that looks like. Exactly. So... Caroline, I have to ask, as you're looking at almost this supply chain of how these pills end up in the hands of someone like Monica, there are the distributors, but where are those distributors getting the pills from?
1: So I I spoke with a lot of different people for the story, a lot of people who are playing that distributor role right now in the United States. The woman at the packing party that I talked about, and then two or three others They all told me that they were getting the pills from the same place.
0: After the break, we pay a visit to that place and hear from some of the people funneling abortion pills into the United States. We'll be right back. So, Caroline, let's talk more about the source of these pills.
1: So um, the first thing that I heard about this organization in Mexico was from that distributor at the packing party that I talked about. She just referred to this woman as Veronica. First yeah. name. Yes. First name only. Like Madonna I like re- or Beyonce. Yes. <laughs> and what reverence. Like she mm. spoke about Veronica and you just knew this woman was – very important. Mm. Um, And she is to abortion access in America right now. She is hugely important. So her full name is Veronica Cruz Sanchez. She is the founder of an organization called Las Libres, which is a feminist activist organization based in Guanajuato, Mexico. That's a, a city in central Mexico. And they've been around for two decades. Um, they started out just as a, you know, an, an organization to help Mexican women in desperate situations, to help um, victims of domestic violence, and also to help people who had been um, prosecuted for abortions. Uh, up until last year, abortion was criminalized in Mexico. It was. Um, you know, pe- people were going to jail, so yeah. they. This organization was was helping, you know, get people out of jail, and 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 also all along too, um, getting free abortion pills in so, the hands of women who needed them. So, were you able to
0: go meet Veronica? Go to like, was there a headquarters? Yeah.
1: So I I did, I flew to Guanajuato and I spent a couple of days shadowing Veronica in their offices. Um, It's this home, kind of really in the side of a mountain. It's hidden from the road with this big gate and these beautiful flowers. And you walk inside and it really does feel like a family. And all day women will just wander in and out asking for abortion pills. Wow. Cuz uh, people know to go there. People know to go there. You know, until very recently, Las Libras only focused on Mexican women.
0: Porque al principio, según nosotras,
1: so Veronica told me that Las Libres started out as a relatively small organization, and it grew and grew in Mexico. And then when Texas banned most abortions last fall, then, for the first time, they started to expand internationally into the United States. And then when Roe was overturned, Things kind of went crazy. Eh, ayuda, y nosotros yeah. ya sabemos que yeah, está yeah. hablando de un aborto, ¿no? Mm-hmm. It's like it was twenty years ago uh-huh. here. Exacto.
0: Can you give an example of
1: of what you saw when you were there? One of the moments that really stood out to me was when she received a text message from a woman in Georgia. I'm in need of your services. I'm six weeks pregnant. I was given this number through eight Access, And this woman said, is this Las Libres? I live in Georgia. I'm further than six weeks along. I need help. I see what you say? Yes. And immediately, you know, Veronica stops what we're doing, sits down and texts this woman back. Hi, yes, this is Las Libres. We can help you. Mm Mm-hmm. So what happens next? Like, so you get this message, and then what happens next? Like, how do you just ask for her address and then mail them directly? Like tomorrow or? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Now. But Okay. Now. <laughs> Ahora mismo. Okay. How many times a day do you get a message like that? Como 20. Twenty. Twenty. So this network really works in a variety of ways. There are some women who reach out to Las Libres directly, but there are others, many others, who have no idea that the pills that they get are coming from Las Libres at all. They are connecting with this huge network of distributors in the United States who are much more, you know, embedded in their communities, who are reaching out to them through word of mouth, through social media. Yeah, like other. yeah.
0: And if I think about what you're describing here, it's almost like this supply chain of these abortion pills of how they get to an individual woman like that woman in Georgia or the other woman we were speaking about, Monica, um, that, you know, they're coming to her maybe via distributor in the U.S. That's coming from Veronica. But where does Veronica and Las Liras in
1: Mexico, where are they getting the pills from? So it's shifting. Um, up until this point, or up until the point that I went and visited them, they had gotten all of their pills through in-kind donations. So they got them from various um, abortion clinics in Mexico, various international abortion advocacy organizations, um, occasionally a um, international distributor of abortion pills would send them free pills that had recently expired. And the other thing to mention about Leslie Lipes that it's really important is that they are sending all of these pills for free. This is not an organization that's making any kind of profit. They are operating entirely on donations. And so what was happening as I was there was that they were running out of pills. The demand was outpacing the supply that Veronica keeps literally in the back of her closet. And it was, you know, occurring to them that they needed to do something different. So Veronica had, uh, over the previous couple of weeks, she'd been talking with various contacts, figuring out where was the cheapest place in the world to buy pills from. Mm. And so she was about to go. I can't say where she was going to, but she was about to go on a international trip, where she was going to pick up a large amount of pills. Wow, wow!
0: How are they able to be doing this out in the open? What are the risks for Veronica and her group?
1: She laughed when I asked her that. Like, really? Yeah, she said uh, the the leaders are scared of me. Is <laughs> what she said. Wow. I mean, she said that first when they were just. Uh, supplying abortion pills to Mexican women. They were really open from the beginning, even when abortion was criminalized in Mexico, that this is what they were doing. And the way that she explains it is like, yeah, you know, we told them exactly what we were up to and basically said, you know, we're all doing this. What are you going to do? Like, like calling their bluff almost. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And nothing happened.
0: Is Veronica and her organization concerned that now they're supplying pills into the U.S. and becoming a major source of of these pills, that they could have some sort of crackdown or that leaves them open to attack of some
1: sort or vulnerable? or Not at all. I kept asking her that question because... It seemed like a big one to me, you know. She's so public, and she's really not concerned about this.
0: So obviously Veronica seems generally very confident and Um I'm also at this point curious about the people on the other side, you know, the, the people like Monica who are self-medicating their abortions, how they're getting these pills through people they don't even know their names. And how that experience is for them when they get the pill and then they make the decision of what to do about it. So we started out talking about Monica, you know, her desperately turning to Reddit for help. Do you know how her situation went from there?
1: It was terrifying. The pills arrive and they, they come on a Friday afternoon and they come in a box for cat anti-flea medication. And Monica opens up the package, is holding the abortion pills in her hands, and talking with her boyfriend about whether she should take them, and he is really concerned, and she says, this is what I have to do. This description might be graphic for some listeners. I just want to flag that. She takes the first pill, mifepristone. She waits 24 hours, as you're supposed to. Everything seems normal. And then it's Sunday morning and she takes the second set of pills, the the misoprostol. And that's when she knows to expect that there's going to be pretty severe cramping because the farther along you are, the generally, the more painful it can be. And she knows that she's at least 10 weeks and she thinks she might be farther along than that too. So she takes the second set, and pretty quickly, just terrible cramps, terrible cramps. And she described it by saying that it was, she had never had a baby, but she told me that she imagined this was what contractions might feel like and mm. um, you know, really, really intense pain. And then it backed off a little bit and then really, really intense pain again. And she's just lying in her bed. She said she put on um, a diaper pad for the bleeding and her favorite oversized t-shirt, a Life is Good shirt. And just lies there. And when it gets really bad, she calls her best friend who had actually had a medication abortion at a Planned Parenthood the year before. Um, You know, and that She was overseen by a doctor, had somebody to call if anything went wrong. And her friend says, "'Dude, I don't know that this is normal. "'You seem like you're in so much pain. "'Do you think you should go to the hospital?' And Monica gets really upset with her friend because she's like, "'Can't you understand? I can't go to the hospital.'" I can't call a doctor because what I'm doing is against the law and I'm terrified. And then at that point, she said she started hyperventilating. The cramps keep getting worse. Her boyfriend gathers a few things in a bag just in case they do have to go to the hospital. And at that point, She yells at him to turn on the bath because she feels like she needs to get in some hot water. She gets in there and she feels pressure release a little bit. And then she looks down and she sees the fetus floating in the water. She is shocked by what she sees. The way that she described it to me She saw a fetus that was slightly smaller than the size of her palm. And she could see the head and the arms and the legs and even defined fingers and toes. And she screams. She wasn't expecting to see that at all. She jumps out of the water and she says, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. And she just kind of collapses into her boyfriend crying and just completely wrecked because she wasn't expecting it. I think it's really important to say at this point that Monica is really glad that she got her abortion. It worked. She was okay. It was really scary, but she's okay. And she's happy that she was able to do it. She wishes that she didn't have to do it in this way. She wishes that she could have done it like her friend with a doctor next to her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When Monica eventually calms down enough to take out her phone, she immediately reaches out to the user on Reddit that sent her these pills. And she reaches out to them and she asks, basically, what do I do with this fetus? So she writes... I just passed the fetus. It was kind of traumatizing, but now I decay. What to do? Do I flush it down the toilet? I'm just feeling a little scared. And the user says, I'm so sorry you had to see that. Flushing it down the toilet is what most people do. Some people like to do a little ritual around it. And so, Monica, the way that she described it to me, she said she knew she couldn't flush it down the toilet. She wanted to do something to mark this moment and really to say goodbye. And so she asks her boyfriend. Together they go to a local park and they find a quiet place at the back in sort of this wooded area where nobody else is. And they dig a hole Monica gathers some flowers, and they put the the fetus, which they've put in this cardboard box, into the hole. And they both kneel down beside it, and they say goodbye. I, I, I do also just want to read exactly, in her words, what Monica said when she did that. She said... I hope in the future when I am ready, your soul will find me again. It just wasn't our time.
0: Caroline, I mean, this is such a vulnerable, difficult, emotional, complicated moment for someone like Monica. How did she make sense of all this in in her own reflection? How was she thinking about how this this all happened?
1: I think she felt really unprepared and really alone, even though her boyfriend was there. You know, I keep thinking about the call that she had with the friend, right, where the friend was able to go to the Planned Parenthood for her medication abortion the year before and see a doctor and have someone to call. Monica didn't have any of that. And that was terrifying. I can also imagine
0: that there are people hearing this story who empathize with Monica but do not support what she did and the path that she took and you know this sort of situation shouldn't be happening because it's against the law and and are there any efforts to punish or go after people Whether it's people like Monica who are availing themselves or seeking out this sort of care underground or the people who are
1: supplying the pills underground. We haven't yet seen any really concentrated efforts to crack down on that kind of thing. But I think we probably will. Because you have to remember there are just so many people like Monica who are receiving these pills and so many people like the distributors that we've been talking about that are Mailing these pills and getting these pills in women's hands. I mean, just Veronica alone, she said that Las Libres is on track to help terminate 20,000 pregnancies in the United States by the end of 2022. Wow. That number is staggering. And frankly, it's impossible for Republicans to ignore. So I think you're going to see a lot of Republican lawmakers and district attorneys wrestling with public opinion. You know, we're we're a week out from the midterms and we saw abortion just resonate hugely with American voters in a place like Michigan. Abortion was the number one issue for 50 percent of voters, So Republicans are seeing that as well as the staggering numbers of pills that are flooding illegally into the country, and they are trying to figure out what to do. Now, they might be apprehensive, but they definitely still have power to do something to crack down if they want to. And and what that looks like, is it going after... The people seeking the abortion care? Probably not. Um, there have been instances of, you know, people being criminalized for miscarriage or performing their own abortions. Over the past 20 years, um, studies show it's, you know, it's about 61 cases of that, of, of, of being criminalized for those kinds of things. But much more often, you know, these laws are targeting the facilitators of the abortion. They're targeting the people who are getting the pills in these women's hands. So that's, I think, who you'd expect to be the focus.
0: And Caroline, when, you, when you're when you looking at the, the state of abortion access in this country and the real-life situations people are dealing with, wh- what is on your mind? What are you looking at, and what are you left with after reporting this story?
1: Well, I think we know that banning abortion doesn't mean that no abortions happen. It means they continue to happen, and a lot of them continue to happen. Mm. They just happen in a way that is not regulated. And as these supply chains expand and suppliers enter the market that are less credible, it's going to be less safe. Caroline, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Eli. Caroline Kitchener is a national political reporter for The Post. The story was produced by Alana Gordon. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's episode was edited by Robin Amer and Peter Walston, with additional editing by Maggie Penman. It was mixed by Sean Carter. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.